Hi, my name is Gunnar Froh and I'm your host on the Wonder Mobility Podcast. Welcome back to the Wonder Mobility Podcast. Uh, today I'm with Robin from Google, as you can see on the video right behind you, the banner. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. You're in Copenhagen today and we just talked about it. Um, it's a beautiful city. You're originally from Sweden. Um, and um, today we want to unpack a little bit uh, what Kogo is as a company. I think it's super interesting. I, I read your numbers and I was uh, surprised. Um, it's an aggregation platform for um, shared mobility, but you have hundreds of thousands of vehicles um, already on the system. Um, yeah. across many different countries. And I really want to talk about this whole um, aggregation um, business in travel, which is also your background. And then um, you were acquired by Kayak. And uh, now mm. that's where you met your co-founders um, um, previously and now trying to take this into mobility. The whole technical aspect behind it, but also um, the consumer aspect um, is that... Mm. Um, needed to the same degree in urban mobility as it is in um, travel? Um, what's, what does adoption look like? Um, and so on. Do you want to give us like a few uh, sentences, kind of a background, how you ended up um, founding Kogo? Of course. Yeah, it's great to be here. So, so thanks for uh, inviting me. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm Robin, obviously. I lived in um, Copenhagen now for the last eight years. So... Um, Yeah, I started business in Sweden. Then I joined this uh, little scale-up in Denmark called Momondo. Um, and eventually we grew to become one of the biggest um, travel platforms in, in Europe. Um, and like you mentioned, Kayak acquired us in 2017. So essentially there we, we, we gathered all the, the airlines, the travel agencies, uh, I think it was over a thousand different suppliers to, to really help users to find the, the cheapest or the best tickets. Um, As an entrepreneur, you know, when you get acquired and then uh, there's a lot of processes in place, especially mm -hmm. when an American company comes in. So it wasn't as exciting um, anymore. So um, I, uh, I got an offer to change industry and become the CMO of, of an electric car startup in Sweden called Unity. So I was there for a couple of years um, and then uh, COVID hit and that hit our little fairly young startup so um, yeah we had to close it down and uh, around the same time or a few years before that uh, started seeing all the scooters popping up popping up in the u.s and you know sometimes you just get a niche or you see something happening and and i felt like that that is really cool that is amazing that is to me the future so i wanted to participate somehow i wasn't really sure how and so on so i thought about it for a long 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 time and then Like adding another bike share or scooter company maybe wouldn't make a big difference in this industry because fairly quickly quite a few popped up around uh, around the world. So um, and then it just dawned on me I was I was on crutches because I had hurt my my knee in a ski uh, ski accident and I had to go to the doctor but uh, I couldn't take a bus because it didn't go any further. There were uh, the car was nowhere to see so i wanted to get a, a scooter because i couldn't bike either because you know you have to bend bend the knee so i opened one app didn't find a scooter open another app didn't find a scooter open a third a fourth app and so on so that's kind of when the dawn on me like hey 
someone should have done what we did with Momondo for air travel and for hotels, but for mobility. And that's when it kind of dawned on me that actually there wasn't a service that um, really fulfilled my needs. And that's kind of where the idea came about. And then I started thinking more and more about it. And then, yeah, now we're here. And uh, I have two two of my former colleagues from uh, Momondo with me as co-founders as well. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of how it got started. <laughs> that's how you launched uh, and co-founded this aggregation platform, uh, Kogo, um, to show uh, shared mobility vehicles from you know different operators all in one app. Um, give us some numbers about kind of how far you've come because I've been reading some of them and it's like impressive you capture a significant part of the market mm. um, by now in your app. Yeah, so currently we have about 300 uh, integrated operators mm -hmm. on our platform. Um, that is a bit over half a million vehicles in total. Uh, you can use us in 700 cities around the world in around 70 cities. Could be a few more, but those are the ones I've managed to count. Um, last year, we had a bit over half, half a million users. Uh, the year before that, just shy of 200,000. So we, we've grown pretty quickly. I think the first year we had 6,000 and around 200 and mm. over five, half a million. So I think um, we've been proving that we can grow uh, quite rapidly. Um, Which we, um, geographies are you in? When you say 500,000 mm. vehicles, is that all in Europe or also outside of Europe? Uh, also outside. So we have some in yeah, Asia, US, Australia, and so on. But the highest density is by far in, in Europe. It's also our kind of focus markets and where we focus the most to, to get a good product and also to, to get our users and so on. We had... Can you share roughly how many of the vehicles um, and operators are in Europe? I don't know that by my, by heart, actually, but uh, a majority for sure. Mm -hmm. So maybe about 300,000 or so of the vehicles in it. So yeah, probably. Yeah. Of a total sharing vehicle sharing market um, in Europe of there are some different numbers sometimes going on, maybe 600 mm. to 800,000 or so. So yeah. Like, yeah. with that, does that sound about right? So maybe almost half of the sharing vehicles in Europe are already aggregated on your app? Yeah, it could be more because we have, I mean, all of the big and known brands we, <laughs> we do have. Like, we, we see now the ones that we're kind of missing are maybe local bike operators or, or, or a lo local scooter operator or something like that. Um, so I would say we definitely have the majority. If you, there, there's a few big ones when it comes to scooters, for instance, like Tier and Lime, Boy, Dot, and so on. We have, we have all of them, and they obviously have the biggest vehicle fleets. So uh, for sure, we have the majority uh, of the fleet. And so we have... Um, e-scooters, bikes, e-bikes, shared cars, and mopeds. So those are the four can, vehicle types that we focus on. Can you talk a bit about the openness of operators to be aggregated and how that maybe mm. uh, evolved in the last few years? Yeah, that is, that is by far like in the whole spectrum, we have those that are their only, their sole growth strategy is almost through aggregators. And some that really wanted to capture everything, the whole value chain by themselves. Mm -hmm. And then everything in between 
I think when we when we started out as a new brand and so on in, in 2020, it was um, it's really difficult because no one really knows who you are, what kind of value do you provide, like why why should I invest time and resources into integrating with you and so on. Many of them, including some of the big ones, didn't really have third party integrations even. So there was a lot of struggles in the beginning, definitely. Um, We've seen now that maybe the operators realize also that they have the capabilities so the the technical platforms they provide are much better now. Uh, And also their willingness to open with third parties because they realize that they are not maybe necessarily stronger by themselves. And they can see the value that uh, some of the third-party platforms like like us or, or some of the other big ones, like Freenow is a big one and Google Maps and so on, of course, um, that they actually bring bring users and, and value to, to their business. What's the uh, estimate how many of the, or percentage of the vehicle sharing trips in Europe um, this year will, be, will originate in an aggregator or in a, how do you call this, captive? Mm. Uh, app good question i, I think it's uh, it, i think it's very low right now in the single digits for sure in, in terms of percent um i believe long term um it's gonna grow a lot um because that, that's just the trend that we see with the industry um i know like when it comes to hotel bookings you know booking.com i think they have 60 70 percent of the hotel bookings in in Europe, I don't think we will be anywhere close to that. But I mean, could we achieve ten to twenty percent of, of the rights? I don't. I don't think that's uh, unrealistic through third-party platforms. What does the user journey look like when um, I come to your app um, and have not used an operator before that you are showing mm-hmm. um, is available? Do I go um, through an onboarding flow um, with this? operator first and have to link my account somehow or how deeply integrated would that uh, solution be yeah so we have uh, so we have two products we we have the light integrations and full integrations as we call them so light integrations that's that's where we have you know the 700 cities all over the world and that's where we we actually send you to the operator's own apps to to complete the whole booking mm-hmm. but now we're rolling out full integrations we're live in five countries uh, around 150 cities in uh, here in the Nordics, in Germany, Italy, and Spain, and there we we manage the whole flow. So you can you you sign up for a Kogo profile, you add your payment card, and then we have the integrations with the operators. So you just unlock and ride and pay to us, and then we manage the the whole connectivity and and the vehicle and the payment to the operator and so on, and then we just take keep our our share. So we, that was one of the biggest hurdles for me was to really make it a seamless process for the users. Because mm-hmm. you, you asked me in the beginning, like, do we, do we even need aggregators in the industry? And I'm like, for sure we do. Because I do it. So I'm building a product that me and millions of people need. And that is, like, you're in Hamburg now, you come to Copenhagen, or I'm in Copenhagen, I go to Berlin and so on. We don't necessarily have the same kind of operators here. So do I, then I need to find the operator. I need to sign up. Maybe it's in German. For instance, I don't speak German. So it, it makes it a bit difficult for me to onboard on new operators. So we want to remove that whole 
kind of friction and the complexity by allowing you to use Kogo wherever you are. So if you're at home, you come to Copenhagen, you're in stuff. It doesn't really matter where you are. Um, and that's, that is the core value that we want to bring to our users. And so that's basically I, the um, use case where I'm in a different city. I'm not in my hometown. And so I don't have to create maybe new accounts for kind of local operators. Um, exactly. And that's, the question behind it kind of is like, what, what percentage of shared mobility trips are with people who are currently traveling? Um, but okay, it varies by city and so on. But then you probably also see the use case of this is my hometown and I have these apps all mm -hmm. downloaded, but um, yeah. I don't want to jump from one to the other to get the full picture mm -hmm. of what's the best option. Yeah. No, exactly. So I think the travelers or, you know, the, the people that are exploring the world, as we call them, uh, that's one case where we can bring a lot of value. So if Danish tourists come to Spain, you know, it's one of the most popular destinations, we can bring value to the, to the Spanish operators. Mm -hmm. Especially as the local operators, right? Like the Lime uh, might already be um, on yeah. the home screen anyhow, but then yeah. the Spanish exactly. operator is not the cool exactly. person. Um, and we have the um, yeah the price comparisons. You can see who's the cheapest, who's the fastest to go there, or a combination. But I would say over ninety percent of our trips right now are still by local residents. Um, really? So even if you're commuting, you have maybe you have one preferred operator. But what we notice is that people still. I mean. Maybe scooters, they're very similar, but even between scooters and a bike or an e-bike, you know, the use case is very similar. They need to go somewhere quick and they don't want to open several apps to find which one is the closest and so on. So actually, even people that have subscription with, with other players um, or specific operators are very interested in, in having a subscription across all of them. And that's something that we get a lot of requests about. Actually, we don't we don't have that today. It's, it, it is a pay-as-you-go um, uh, setup at the moment, but but we're looking into that as well because people just want to find the closest and go. <laughs> that's sort of going already pretty deep into how like the workings of the part, but I think it's quite interesting, and also our audience probably really like from the industry and cares about the details because that's something I definitely discovered um, in other aggregators where. Um, You know, I can't take my pass into it, but I also don't even get the promotion. So if you would, uh, I believe, book a Miles car through the Free Now app today, you don't see which ones are discounted because they need to move. You always mm -hmm. pay the standard price. Yeah. So yeah. this kind of like dynamic integration of dynamic pricing or passes or subscriptions is something that you kind of alluded to. You see on the roadmap, but it's not possible mm -hmm. today, right? Not today, but we um, we just started rolling it out a couple of months ago. So, uh -huh. so it's, it's it's very very new. Um, and we actually, a of time for sure. yeah. So we built the um, infrastructure for it uh, to be able to handle payments and refunds and voucher codes and uh, campaigns. So we can run our campaign, but we of course we could have specific campaigns with an operator and and so on to to promote their service or doing some some sort of collaborations with them to to highlight them or, or whatnot, as long as it brings value to our users. Um, It's interesting. I was just about to ask um, about the support and if there is any case when you also um, 
are taking over support for this and then you just call mm -hmm. them also our users so um is that um possible if you have the full integration mm -hmm. um, yeah. and they sign up through you they use the service through you and now there is some problem will they contact kogos or go directly to the operator um most of them contact us um directly and then um, most of the times we, we can handle it if, it, if it's an issue they uh yeah they can't park or or anything like that then we 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 can manage that through through the back end as well with the partners that, that we have so and then in some cases of course we need to escalate it to to the operator um to sort it out but we haven't had any of those instances uh yet so and who owns the user um data um if someone signed up through you um in a full integration took rights to you can this operator still market to them directly in the future or uh, only you can or both of you uh, that would depend on on the type of partnership and, and integrations we have but i mean it is it is our user but of course they have all the information on the user on the ride and what's happening and how, how the vehicles are, move, are moved and so on and in a um, lighter integration um, 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 I guess, yeah, what's the thing there? Have people um, signed up with you um, if they want to use light integration partners, basically, or is anyone mm -hmm. after download able to see what's available and then be redirected? So do you basically capture yeah. a user there or not? Yeah, so with the light integration, uh, it's, uh, then it, it all happens on the operator's own app. So then we, we redirect you, send you to the operator's own app, And there's no need to sign up with Kogo before in the beginning? Uh, not for that purpose, no. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so that's, okay, that's that. a little bit uh, like user experience kind of and like handling of mm -hmm. cases and who owns the user. Can you yeah. uh, um, share a little bit about how your own business model works? You alluded to maybe then you keep a share of the ride, but yeah. um, how does that work? Is it all like success-based commission on trip volume and it's a case-by-case -case negotiation or how does your model work basically? Yeah, it's it's a commission. So we uh, we negotiate a deal with with the operator, um, and then we take a, take a cut from there. That's it's a pretty pretty standard. It was the same as we use we used that Momondo and so on as well. And it is only based on like when you actually when a user takes a ride. So there's no upfront fees. You don't have to pay anything to get integrated with us or anything. And then we might also have a, a markup on the user side as well where they pay a bit of a, a premium uh to to use to use our service so we we kind of monetize on both ends really a bit That's like uh, a bit like the uh, parking uh, parking apps you have you, you there's a few big ones here in europe and they, yep. they actually pay a bit extra but uh, mm -hmm. i actually didn't know until i started looking into yeah. <laughs> what kind of model should we have so uh we're like yeah but uh, that seems to work so uh, let's go with that mm -hmm. <laughs> And without sharing like your own numbers too much, and it's like a case by case. But what's like an industry standard um, for people who don't know this game? As a wooden aggregator, typically keep like one percent or more, like ten percent or thirty percent, or like Airbnb is trying to keep now um, a lot from both sides. What? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like what's normal in this industry, basically. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a normal yet because it's so, okay. it's so new. <laughs> Uh, it depends on the country, the city, what kind of vehicle is it? Is it a car or a bike okay. or a scooter? 
So I think it could be anywhere from, uh, you know, I think in the low 10s up to in the upper 20s, uh, depending on complexity and the level of responsibility. And there's also a lot of costs associated, you know, the, the, the credit card fees, things like that, that actually an aggregator like us would, would, would occur. So, of course, that needs to be uh, considered as well in, in the negotiation. So it's not just a one, one number, but... Mm -hmm. So in a full yeah. integration case, when um, the uh, fee might be, or the cut might be like 10 to 20% order of magnitude, not 1%, but not 30%, um, uh, most of that probably um, actually, or that's more a question, uh, does most of that go um, to the payment provider right away? Uh, not most of it, but I mean, uh, that is when you're, I think that's uh, when you're just starting up and you have low volumes, then the, the relatively cost for handling payments is actually very, very high. Um, I'm not proportionate at all, but as, as, you, as you scale and get volumes, then that becomes less. And uh, there's, there's a lot of things you can do um, to mitigate that. I mean, the most expensive is by far pay as you go, because there's pretty small fees or charges that you make maybe five euros 10 euros and then the payment providers they could have both a fixed fee and a, and, a, and a flexible fee like i'm sure you know and then relatively that becomes very high but if you yeah if you do top-ups or subscriptions then mm -hmm. relatively that cost becomes much much uh, lower of course um so yeah Can you can you talk a bit about this landscape of aggregators and how that's evolving? Because you mentioned in the beginning your own journey is kind of pretty rapid mm -hmm. growth. Half a million users last year, 250,000 before. I think 60,000 said at first. So, um, but, oh, six, um, six, six, six even <laughs> six, even. Okay, wow, sorry. Okay, six, 250, 500,000. Um, like who else is there? And like roughly order of magnitude, what do these aggregators look like? If they're, if you, If that's public or if you know that. Yeah, yeah, of course I know. I hope I know all of them. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean and everyone kind of know you probably know who they are, but not sure about like the user numbers or so. But are there like no, who are the other names and like what are orders of magnitudes for um these different aggregator yeah, players? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so a few when we started they're not here anymore like like yeah. we talked about before we we acquired uh, one of them eScoot mm -hmm. um, a couple of years ago to just complement our own regions where we were strong then in europe we have uh, me for instance we have urbi um, uh, urban air in the us there's uh, migo they might have closed as well who's probably then, the biggest one in europe now at the moment or biggest two Biggest mobility aggregator is yeah. us, uh, by far, looking at the number of downloads. I don't know about the user numbers. Um, so pure shared mobility aggregator, we're by, by far the biggest. I think we had 10 times more downloads than the number two last year. That's when you If look we, at pure aggregator, probably. So like a free now would not be included in this. No, exactly. So they also have the ride hail, and they also have um, a, a few integrations, full integrations. So they are... On the next level, I think they had 40 million or something. So, and then there's Transit, City Mapper um, that also tries, but they focus a lot on on public transport. So that's why I don't call call them as direct 
like competitors to us, but more like indirect or in the, in the same industry. We, I see them as potential partners as well, because we can bring a lot of value to them with, with all the API, APIs we have. We can bring that into their platforms or, or maybe vice versa if we ever decide to diversify and, and go into ride hail or public transport. And uh, we'll see. So if we're free now with, you mentioned 40 million roughly users at mm -hmm. the moment, wants to become a super app of mobility, but also um, is um, um, yeah, an operator of ride hailing and yeah. maybe other things in the future. Um, are you saying they could be a partner of yours because then you have um, um, uh, like hundreds of operators that they might not yet have integrated mm. and so you could yeah. um, they could use your is there like a B2B um, product basically that you offer where, where they could show your inventory um, that's not an overlap in the app Yeah, exactly. We yeah we don't have the B 2 B today, but essentially, it's it's very common in the in the flight industry where we come from as well to do mm -hmm. to do white labeling, um, and you actually do it to each other and so on. So it's it is a pretty complex industry, but you as a user never really realize it that it's powered by a Kogo or a Momondo or a Skyscanner of the world. So that is definitely a potential um, other business unit in the future. Mm -hmm. I think for us right now, it's just to be very focused, like do like we are, to my knowledge, we have the most integration of any platform in the world. Um, in Europe, we also have the most users uh, as far as I'm concerned. And if we do that, continue to build a product that is, you know, with this whole seamless integration with the payments and where we, we connect all the different operators and so on, then there's tremendous value that we can bring to, Uh, of course, the you as a user, but also to other um, mobility platforms. Um, we have Omeo, we have the Kai, you know, that they have buses and trains and flights, but mm -hmm. no one really has shared mobility. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a huge uh, potential there as well. And uh, that's what we're long term setting up for. Uh -huh. um, Potentially also with a B2B product, but for sure also with your brand consumer facing in five years. That could be. And or it's only B2B or it's only B2C. It's, it's moving so fast here, but right okay. now it's <laughs> the B2C uh, track. And um, so far we're, we're growing quite a lot, actually. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. And how do you see this um, emerging field of like city-driven aggregation apps? Also, um, we had one uh, public transport uh, head basically of a big German city here um, this week with us and they are basically yeah, all uh, have their own mobility apps, aggregator apps, mm. uh, either as a licensing model from maybe Trafi, for example, or um, more frequently probably paying agencies to develop their own uh, solution yeah. and then um, kind of trying to push this to their citizens with the benefit of having public transport included. Yeah. Um, maybe some other perks because there are also policy goals behind it um, yeah. of what mobility should be prioritized or so. But mm -hmm. do you think that will really become a thing for all the big cities in Europe? And then where would your product fit in? Or is that 
maybe just like a fashion at the moment yeah. and won't really be the case that cities drive these aggregator apps. Mm. I say, no, I, there are many um, work okay. Like if you're in that city, we have, uh, uh, you know, the ISO plan in here, like the travel planner, where you can buy uh, a bus ticket, a train ticket, uh, you can rent a bike or, or a car and so on. Um, so they can they can for sure fulfill all the needs in, in the local cities. Um, but they would never scale to another city. So, I mean, if you're ever traveling or you go somewhere else, like you, you would, you're not able to use, use that app. Um, so I think you can do on a super ho local, hyper local level. I think it can work, but you know, if the people like me and you, we travel a lot and so on, it's, it's never going to be the only travel planner we have. I mean, I use Kogo here. I also use the local one here, depending on where I'm going and, and so on. Mm -hmm. And um, so we'll see. We get a lot of questions about public transport, but it's also very, it's a totally different industry um, and not as easy scalable. And uh, there's some opportunities there, but there's also a lot of potential pitfalls. So we'll, we'll see where we end up in the, in the future. Mm -hmm. what, I, what I've learned from talking and uh, reading like service and research and so on is that people really want to have one app in this case that can kind of cater to as many needs as possible because they don't like changing apps and once they're loyal to one you're very loyal to to that provider as well or that app or platform once it fulfills your needs so how can we then take that and, and the love and the loyalty that you receive and how can we make that product then kind of even better and expand uh, kind of the reach and the use cases and so on. So that's what we're looking into. But for a young startup, like us, we're, we're three years old, you know, it's, it's very young. Um, it's just super important for us to be laser focused and doing one thing really good. And then we have all the opportunities rather than spreading things now. Cause yeah, that's why many startups go bust, I think as well. So mm -hmm. you mentioned in the beginning that, um, Operators take different views on this question. Should I be aggregated? You know, and some mm. try to avoid it, push their own um, apps as much as possible, and others um, don't even have their own fronted but go through different aggregators entirely or leave mm. the marketing to them at least. Yeah. Um, who, um, um, can you think of an example of a sharing operator in Europe that is doing that successfully where they are not? pushing their own front end, but they are um, yeah, showing up in different other aggregators. And I don't, I don't think I said to not have their own front end because uh, I, th I think most of them, most of them have, but uh, yeah. I mean, we have a, uh, we have a very orange operator, bike operator from Copenhagen as well called mm -hmm. donkey. Yeah. And they are uh, very, very pro. So I think I met him, uh, Adam, the first time before Kogo was even launched. And he was very nice. And somebody's like, yeah, but I get a lot of requests. So just come back to us when when your your product is live and you have something to show. So I'm like, yeah, fair enough. Um, and then um, we noticed that Donkeys was really, what they told us was that um, they have a, they're very open to third parties. They just want to pick the ones that can really bring value to them. So 
they wanted to work with them. They just wanted to see who is kind of the, w- the winner in space and so on. And um, so I, th- I think that's a healthy, healthy approach. Mm-hmm. And you need to show what, you, what you're worth kind of as well. Um, mm-hmm. It was, it's, it's a very, very similar. I wasn't part of Momondo from the beginning, but Martin, my co-founder and CTO here, he, he was part of founding it. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had a lot of the, the same struggle um, back in 2005, 2006, when they were starting up that. Mm-hmm. The airlines, they're like, no, people go into our shops on the street to buy their flight tickets, right? They don't want to, there's no, there's no apps. They don't, they don't buy it on the website, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think there's very few going into to buy a flight ticket on the street. Now it's all online. But it was super hard for Momondo in the beginning to, to attract and, and get partnerships in place. And then, mm-hmm. then it grew, got more users. That expanding outside of Denmark came into the Nordics, Germany, rest of Europe, and so on. And then all of a sudden, the the whole industry realized that it's online. That's that's what's it. So then the whole mind mind uh, what do you say the mind shift uh, in the industry. So they really wanted to. Then they saw it as as an uh, acquisition channel. And they could use someone like Momondo and Skyscanner to just open a new market. And that was their marketing budget was, was placed there. So their marketing spend was essentially the commission they were playing to paying to these uh, platforms. And I've seen, it's still too super early, but I'm seeing the same shift uh, among, among the operators like, like I touched upon before. And yeah, of course, that's essential for a platform like us. Um, but building a product that uses love, they tell their friends, they come back, they use us again and so on. That shows that we can build some some loyalty and actually bring value to the operators. And then then that's kind of how we how we prove our, our position uh, in the industry as well. And uh, I think with the new product that we launched, full integrations, I think our retention is um, three to four times higher now than on the old product with light integration. So, so it is a fundamental shift for, for us, even though it's so new, we can already see that the cellular candle levels that, that we're talking about in terms of retention. So that also shows that the users really appreciate what we're doing and they, they come back. Now we can see we, we launched referral, like a referral program that week. And we can already see that more and more people are referring to friends, telling the friends and so on. So it's super exciting. So we're, we're really happy about that. These users who are also using full integrations and who you mentioned have better retention than previously light integration users, how much would they typically be spending with you um, per month? Is that done? Yeah, I probably can't give you the exact number, but it's, it's over 10 euros per, per month. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of kind of calculate backwards to like acquisition um, cost. Mm. And um, all right, interesting. Um, you mentioned this is a way for operators to see um, as an alternative for marketing budgets, either um, invest in user acquisition or basically pay a commission to an aggregator. Um, mm. And the comparison to like flight industry or travel industry uh, where they... Um, either have to probably buy um, yeah, now online ads or a commission to 
Google.com, also either Google or Booking. And, um, but do operators spend, like operators for shared mobility, do they even spend on marketing or isn't their marketing spend kind of the out-of-home advertisement that comes from putting their vehicles in the street? Yeah. Not saying they don't, they have like zero marketing budgets. Um, maybe we can think yeah, of one campaign we've seen sometimes, but like some of our customers never do uh, mm -hmm. online marketing no. or out of home or any, no, yeah. no, it's, uh, there's been a few campaigns here and there, but talking to them and, and also listening to what, what people in the industry are saying, it is expected that this will increase significantly in, in the coming years as well. Mm -hmm. Like you say, right now it's been enough. There's a new form factor. There's a scooter here or there's, there's a pink bike or a blue bike or whatever. And people see it. And that is kind of the, the billboard. But now with, you know, tenders are coming, there's high competition of there's fewer vehicles on the street. Uh, um, there's, it's not as easy to de deploy more, more vehicles and so on. Marketing will become an essential factor for, for growth for them and for uh, winning, winning the users, so to say. So um, for sure, that, that will come. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. Let's... Um like broaden the horizon a little bit beyond like aggregators and um, Kogo specifically, maybe um, just kind of towards the end, talk about in general, the industry. So you've been there for many years, uh, you do your research and so on. What do you think is something um, that you are expecting will happen in the next two, three years that not everyone's expecting that is um, mm -hmm. kind of a contrarian thought, maybe also that you have in, your company, something that, what do you think is most going to change in our industry between now and in two years? Yeah, that's a, that's a good, that's a good one. <laughs> I think, uh, um, not necessarily anything radical. I think, um, like most companies in, in all industries at the moment are, are struggling. So I think, there will probably be a few fewer players in the markets. We see some consolidation, M&As coming up, potentially. We see that um, the regulation around how to handle the vehicles, uh, there's tenders, processes, and so on. So I think um, this will improve. So actually, the cities and operators can, can work together. And I think that's needed for, for the long-term viability of the industry. So that is something that's starting now, but they're still figuring it out. And I mean, scooters, I don't think scooters are allowed in Amsterdam yet. There's not really scooters in all of London and so on. It's, it's some of the biggest markets in, in Europe or biggest biking uh, cities in the world, right? So there's still uh, room for, for expansion there. But I think it will be cleaned up a bit and people will figure out how it works. Um that's a good thing uh but biggest yeah so probably kogo. growth overall <laughs> everybody uh, will maybe, know about kogo <laughs> maybe the same people but uh different brands <laughs> because um, many brands or companies will maybe go out of business or be acquired and still I think so. is fun. and um yeah and kind of a simplification like more regulated but also meaning more um active role of cities and then the simplification in terms of interfaces like Kogo, um, where you don't have um, to jump around, but basically maybe mm -hmm. like a single sign-on kind of logic um, where yeah. you have a Kogo account and through your app or 
maybe even in a single sign-on kind of way, you um, with your Kogo login, you access this other um, service. Exactly, yeah. Okay. That, that's another high cost, and it's ID verification. Yes. Like it, it's pretty expensive. Um, so for one operator, it's, of course, a big cost for that customer because they only verify it for themselves. If we uh, if we verify the users, we can we can distribute that across a lot of operators. Um, so we actually distribute the cost among us, which is also another benefit of, of having uh, you know kind of aggregators in that place. Like I said, we can take some of the cost, but then of course we need to charge for it. But we, but we don't have to charge the full cost for one. We can distribute it on on hundreds of operators. So I think we'll be able to to bring a lot of value there and, and also bringing more users into the industry because it is more more seamless and so on. So, um, yeah, I'm very excited to to see here how, how it's going to go. Like maybe it was before the call, but we, we just launched uh, in Germany this morning. So uh, we're uh, eagerly waiting for the first uh, numbers here coming in. So <laughs> All right. and more countries to come, of course. So. That sounds very good. That's a super impressive, uh, quick ramp up. And uh, conceptually, um, I think the idea has been around for a while to build an aggregator. And like somehow surprisingly, now your estimate is maybe a single digit percentage of trips currently originates in estimators, uh, in aggregators. Um, question is kind of why maybe the previous ones haven't been um, good enough. But yeah, you definitely have the travel industry experience where um, you saw that moving um, towards mm. the aggregators. and. Um, I think um, that the yeah simplicity eventually probably wins. So if um, operators are open yeah. and maybe have other tangible business benefits like sharing costs for um, verification or even maybe then keeping bad actors out or payment provider fees can be more attractive mm -hmm. maybe if they are not uh, handled individually but through US an aggregator, then I think that could... Uh, be quite interesting. So yeah, yeah. all the best for the uh, Germany launch right now. I'm gonna try it out tonight and uh, tell people about it. And um, yeah, it was super nice to catch up with you. And thanks for the deep dive into your company and the whole topic. Yeah, but thank you so much, Gunnar. It was, it was great to catch up and, and to meet you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye. Bye.